Welcome to the Actuaries in the Wild podcast. I started this podcast because I believe that actuaries are more than just your stereotypical number cruncher that sits at a computer all day. Many of us have endeavors that go well beyond the traditional actuarial realm. My goal is to meet those actuaries who have ventured from their desks to explore their passions. It's time to meet the actuaries in the wild. Today's actuary in the wild is Josh Udevin. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Uh, so I want to start by finding out a little bit of information about your background. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, including what made you decide to become an actuary. Yeah, so I, uh, I grew up in uh, Westfield, New Jersey, in the, the New York area. And I went to college at Brown University. And it was at Brown when I first heard about the actuarial profession. Mm-hmm. I was uh, studying for my economic uh, finals with my friend, Scott Friedman, and, and he was saying, actuarial profession, what a great job <laughs> profession to be in. You get a six-figure salary, and you mm-hmm. work in a nine-to-five job. And I was like, ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, as, as I learned more, I, I learned that there were a long set of exams. So I, I went for, I explored a number of uh, places in, in finance, investment banking, management consulting, along with uh, about half my other uh, class. And uh, after talking, it was very clear that the actuarial profession was a good fit for me. I just needed to pass exams. I was a little bit uh, late to the game. So most of my interviews were actually with pension benefits uh, consulting. And then once I got my second exams, then I got more traction with insurance companies. So I found a, a letter in our career office and, and it said, Constitution Reinsurance is looking to hire. So I was like, I've never heard of reinsurance before, but <laughs> yeah. it's pretty self-explanatory. So I, uh, I applied, I, I got the job and, uh, and I worked in reinsurance for 16 years. First at uh, Constitution, it was bought by Girling. Then I spent a couple of years at St. Paul Re before they became Platinum Re. And then I went to Swiss Re, where I met you, Jeremy. Right. And I, I was doing mostly reserving. I, I moved to product strategy. And and then after eight years at Swiss Re, it was uh, clearly time to find another direction in, in my career. So I went to Conning in Hartford, and I did insurance research. I worked in... Uh, workers' comp and medical professional liability. And then that's where my career went for the the next few years. I spent three years at New York Compensation Insurance Rating Board Mm -hmm. doing workers' comp pricing. And then uh, five years ago, I moved to Atlanta. I got a job with MCIC Vermont. We are a medical professional liability risk retention group. We have seven teaching hospitals in our network. And it's a great company to work for, especially since it became remote in 2020, like a lot of other companies. Right. I certainly do not miss that Atlanta commute. Yeah, I can imagine. I've, I've been to Atlanta a few times, and I, I've never had a good experience with the traffic in Atlanta, so right. <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, and as Josh said, we, we met each other when we were both at Swiss Re. I worked at Swiss Re for a while, and Josh did too. So so we met each other there. Um, but really, why why... While you're why you are here today is because of uh, what makes you an actuary in the wild, and and it's really your music background, and and I don't just mean your music background 
meaning your Zoom background you have behind you, but your music background, um, you're not a professional musician, but uh, you're very active musically. Uh, so tell us how you got started in music. I think it started with piano lessons as a kid. Yeah. I was uh, studying piano and there were two pianos in the room and the teacher and I did one exercise where the teacher would play a note and I would play the note uh, back without mm -hmm. seeing what note it was. And I said, okay, yeah, I'm just repeating these notes. Right. And, uh, you know, that's uh, uh, what was happening was that I was showing off my gift, my ear for music. Right. And I, I worked on it. I didn't really practice piano as much as I should have. I think like many other kids, TV and video games uh, tended to occupy the time that I spent practicing, but I, I branched off into to different uh, types of music. I took on the saxophone. I played in a school band. I uh, back in uh, in in uh, middle school, it was uh, there was a jazz band. Uh, it was a, a Dixieland style band, and uh, in high school, and and one thing I found was that. The older I got, the uh, the bigger my saxophone was. Yeah. I started with the alto <laughs> saxophone, and then the tenor, and then the the barry sax, which uh, you need a lot of air to uh, to put into that. But uh, what really uh, you know was fun was uh, was choral music. I yeah, started I... Uh, in my uh, in my elementary school uh, choir. Then, yeah, would uh, you say you said that that's kind of where you're mostly active right now uh, is in the, right. the choral music? Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yes. So that's uh, yeah. And, and right now, it's mo most of my my choral music is in Jewish music. And my first uh, experience with that was in, in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, there was uh, my next door neighbor. Uh, his name was Steve Dropkin, and he became the the choir director in our Sunday school. And he wanted to have a lot of fun. He didn't want to just sing traditional Jewish music. Like one example is uh, on Hanukkah, there's this, uh, this little uh, top called a mm -hmm. dreidel that we spin. It's four sided. Right. If it lands on a certain side, then you either uh, you know, win chips or you, you lose chips or, or there, or you, you do nothing. And there's this cute little uh, song that goes, I have a little dreidel, I made it out of clay, and when it's dry and ready, oh dreidel, I shall play. So Steve did a special doo-wop version of it, <laughs> Rabbi Dan Freelander and Cantor Jeff Klepper, that went, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, yeah, oh, I had a little dreidel. I made it out of clay, and when it's dry and ready, oh, dreidel, I, I shall play. Ooh, ah, ooh. So you you talked to me when we talked earlier. Said you were in in uh, Hoboken uh, when you were singing with the uh, synagogue there. It was only a couple years that you were there, and then you took an extended break. Um, what was your experience while you were there in Hoboken during your, I would say, your first stint uh, singing with the synagogue? Yeah. So, so Hoboken. Uh, this was uh, 25 years ago. This is a a small synagogue in in Hoboken. 
which is just across the Hudson River from New York City. And we had a, a new rabbi who incidentally is still there. His name is Rob Scheinberg. And Rob had, uh, had studied uh, in, uh, at Columbia and he went to Jewish Theological Seminary. And there was a, and he helped uh, start this uh, one acapella group that sang Jewish music. It was called Peace Moan. Okay. And he wanted to uh, to bring some of that experience to Hoboken, and I loved it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun just being more involved in the the services, and 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 it just it felt great to to be part of a a choir. I'd say the one drawback is that, like many amateur uh, choirs, there aren't very many men who sing. Yeah. And so, okay. <laughs> so that means that. Uh, where whatever was needed to uh, to be sung, I uh, I had to do that, which meant that I had to sing bass. And while I love bass, I think the the bass really uh, puts a gives the music a, a life to it that uh, you know it just it gives it a, a certain depth. So I absolutely love that. The problem with bass, though, is that like if a, a note is is a little bit too high for you, you can sing a falsetto. Right. Monkey Valley made a lot of money with the, the falsetto. You can't really falsetto a bass. All you can really do very early in the morning before your voice is actually developed. And and yes, maybe you can. Uh, there are also certain techniques I learned later in life in terms of just you know, opening up the mouth a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I'd say that was the, the one challenge, but totally worth it because I really enjoyed the music. I'd say one uh, song that really uh, stood out was uh, the song. It went, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, Nachamu, Nachamu, Yomar Elokechem. And though these were the words that were written by Isaiah shortly after the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. And for okay. an English translation of it, uh, you uh, should go no further than the beginning of Handel's Messiah. Okay. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. So yes, for those of you who are, who will watch a Messiah performance uh, during the holiday season, listen for that, and you will now know the background. Oh, thanks. That's interesting. I, I know, you know, talking about uh, bass and, and tenor, right? When I was in choir in high school, uh, you know, we only had two two guys in our in our uh, first year I was in choir, and, and I I had to sing some bass, and I'm I'm not a bass, I'm a tenor. And luck, luckily, the second year I was in high school, we we added a few more, and we had about ten, so we we had able to have a few others sing. But uh, it definitely was uh, experience trying to sing bass when you're a tenor. So it's it's a little more difficult to do that. Um, so you you mentioned it was 25 years ago that you had this first stint, uh, but you didn't pick up. Uh, I would say singing more. I would I would say not not full time, but more continuously back until 2012 again. Um, what made you decide to start back up in 2012? So at that point, when I moved to Hartford, I. Uh... I joined a, a synagogue, uh, Bethel Temple mm -hmm. in West Hartford, and it it had a, a really good uh, cantor 
Joseph Ness, and, and he directed a choir. And it, it took a few months before I finally heard their first performance. And once I did, I saw how much I had missed and how much yeah. I wanted to be back in, into that. So I actually, I, I went up to, uh, to one of the, the three tenors, the choir. Uh, that's another quirk about choirs with men. Tenors tend to be a little bit harder to find because the average age of a person in an amateur choir tends to uh, to be on the old side. And as people get older, the voices get deeper. You know, anyone who's watched an opera knows that the heroic young hero who marries the beautiful princess is a tenor while uh, his father tends to be a bass. <laughs> yeah. So you moved uh you moved back to hoboken in 2014 um how is this experience different than what you had before there and, and what was most challenging about it so it was uh really the the experience was just the nostalgia of here here my first adult choir they actually uh, you know we, we sung nachamu uh, once again and i did not miss a beat i, I remembered yeah. how that that was a lot of the people were the same there were some some new people and i i saw why i enjoyed being part of that synagogue it, it's just it's such a a, a great group and it, it had expanded uh, quite a bit since i had last uh, been in there but not the choir the choir was still small and actually having sung uh, tenor i i asked if i could continue to sing tenor and uh and Rabbi Rob said, even if Pavarazzi walked into this room, <laughs> we would sing bass. So I, I had to make that adjustment again to the lower notes, but uh, yeah. it, it was a uh, you know, very exciting. It, you know, one, one, uh, you know, some pieces I remember they were uh, sung by a a uh, a seventeenth-century uh, Italian composer named Salmoni Rossi. And he sang in the, the Renaissance uh, early Baroque style. And uh, for that, that was a lot of fun because you know, there would be periods of time when you did not hear the, the bass and then the bass would make the grand entrance. Oh, I see. And I, just, I, I felt like, you know, that this was heroic, that I was, you know, making the music more sophisticated and, and adding more uh, blend to it. So despite the fact that, uh, yeah, sometimes I was croaking out those really... Uh, <laughs> Well, notes. I I felt that uh, you know this was a fun part and especially a a needed part. It's I, I like to help out wherever we need, and uh, we we needed some uh, some bass voice, and oftentimes uh, I was the only one there, so it it, it was a uh, it was a great feeling. That sounds good. Uh, and then you mentioned earlier when we were talking about your actuarial career that you moved to Atlanta. Uh, I, I know it was. Uh, after a job change, you know, I, I, you mentioned your, your wife had moved there too. And, and uh, so, but you found a new synagogue, new choir. Um, and you, when we talked earlier, you said this was a different experience. Uh, what made this different from your other experiences back in Hartford and uh, Hoboken? Yeah. Well, for one thing, you know, we, we didn't call it a choir. We called okay. it a chorus. And yeah. it's, it's a very subtle difference. I didn't even realize what it was until I Googled it uh, last yeah. night. That uh, yeah, the, the choir it's mainly focused on the singers. Mm -hmm. you know, they 
maybe they'll have an organ or or a piano or a guitar accompanying them, but uh, it's mostly just the the singers. Where with our chorus, uh, most of the times that we sing, we have musicians in the the background. It's uh, you know they, they usually will have percussion, we'll have guitar or a bass. Sometimes we'll have a, a string ensemble. Okay. So so that's what and and that that was. Uh, you know, one thing I, I had to reconcile because I, you know, I've, I tend to be more of a traditionalist and traditionally your, you know, synagogues uh, often are not supposed to be playing instruments on the right. Sabbath. Yeah. And uh, so it's just at first I thought I was breaking the rules, but then I realized, <laughs> you know, why that rule was in place. Mm-hmm. And this actually came, you know, at, at the time when, uh, there was a fear that if somebody was playing guitar and they they broke a and they would have to fix the string that would yeah. be considered doing work on on the sabbath and i thought ah yeah i think instruments are okay right so that's you know that's one uh, you know thing one difference i noticed that's um and the the director is a really fabulous guy his name is uh will robertson and yes, yeah, the <laughs> actuaries do tend to like sci-fi, uh, yeah. so I would figure that whoever is viewing this right now, there's at least a 42% chance that they just yelled danger in the last minute. <laughs> so Will, is uh, he's a writer, he's a ranger, he, uh, he plays many instruments very well, he plays the guitar, piano, double bass, electric bass, accordion, he'll uh, play some percussion, and he's also a music producer. And, and he's okay. been very successful at that, too. In fact, very recently, one of the albums he produced, Ruthie Foster Live at the Paramount, got a Grammy nomination. So wow. just the advantage yeah. is that not only can he he, uh, he do the sound, but uh, he can also produce albums that uh, right. we've been, you know, we've had over the years. I'd say one, you know, one uh, of his arrangements that really stands out is a uh, piece that starts out as a tune to uh, Bach St. Matthew's uh, Passion. So it goes like this. that piece that went after the Mash of Passion was a uh, 
tune that Paul Simon wrote based on St. Matthew's Passion okay. uh, called An American Tune. Okay. And we, uh, see. The, so several years before I joined the, the chorus, Paul Simon came to the Emory campus to give a lecture and the chorus opened up for him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty neat. I, I heard he, he said it was good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so I know you've been, you've been in Atlanta for five years, uh, and you were still singing in the chorus, uh, during the pandemic. Uh, and I know like, uh, many, um, places, the synagogue closed down a time where you were not meeting in person, but, uh, you still tried to uh, have opportunities where you were, uh, where you were trying to meet virtually. Um, so, so how did the uh, pandemic both present challenges in doing this, but also opportunities for you? Well, the challenge, of course, is, is that we very much miss singing together. Right. Yeah, this was a, a challenge with a number of, uh, of choruses. We were meeting on Zoom, and on Zoom we couldn't sing at the same time, so. We mainly just had to listen and do some practice, but we were in a very interesting situation that we were in the process of recording an album called uh, Red Thread. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's based on uh, a story from uh, chapter two in the, the book of Joshua. Okay. And so, so we had recorded some of the songs in the, the synagogue and now what now? And so we figured, okay, this okay. will just pass in a couple of weeks. We'll be back together. And then when it was clear, it wasn't pa passing. Mm -hmm. We had to, uh, to figure out a way to do that. So we all had to be uh, individual music producers and sound engineers and to do the recordings ourselves. And we had to do many takes and many of us felt the awkwardness of having to listen to our own voice. I see especially on recording and even the best singers in our group felt very awkward and and very self-conscious about uh how they sounded but uh we we got through it and we ended up uh producing very beautiful music with uh, a lot of uh, excellent guidance from from will who who just did such a great job pivoting and then uh and and I, uh, I ended up doing a lot of virtual choirs as well. I see. You know, through other organizations. Uh, sometimes it was just a, a one-off. Somebody was looking to create a music video and and get our uh, faces together. And uh, there's actually this one synagogue in the Boston area where I virtually joined their choir. Right. And uh, th this was a fun experience being able to sing from a distance, put together music videos. And, you know, to me, you know, the, the sound was really the easy part because you just, yes, it's the same mm -hmm. concept. You just practice singing until you get it right. The hard for, part for me was the lighting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so in fact, our, our uh, chorus in, in Atlanta, we uh, created this uh, video called on the day we are together again, which was a very pandemic theme, beautiful song right. by the, uh, the singer known as uh, Humbird. And people just put in this beautiful video and, and with the music and, uh, you know, one of our uh, chorus members, Howard, did such a masterful job putting it together. And there I am, the light was just looking, shining in my face, 
my hair was just you know it had the 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 COVID hair that had not been cut yeah. in a long time and was not brushed very neatly and you know it's just like I love that video but I cringe anytime I appear yeah. on the screen <laughs> but uh, eventually I uh, you know I, I got it right my father was uh, kind enough to a ring light which is what I'm using uh, right now so yeah. uh, so that uh, you're in, of course there's only so much you could do with glasses you're always going to get yeah. some sort of uh, reflection in there and uh, you know and I, you know, I also had to make some trade-offs. Like, you know, they, uh, like I, I found out that recording on the phone is actually better for sound, but not as good for pictures. So, right, I, I traded off, and I, I just, I used my computer, so the sound quality was not quite as good, but it wasn't terrible. So, and it made me look better. And I figure the sound engineers can, can definitely work on the sound, but they can't make me look better. So. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> That's what I could uh, control. And then uh, over time, we actually, our uh, chorus in Atlanta found this uh, application called Jamulus, where people could actually sing together online in real time. Okay. And it was just, Indeed. it was such a, a great feeling to be able to, to do that. Some people were in tears. You know, the, the problem was that the, uh, yeah, the, the tech maintenance uh on on that is very demanding i and see we ran into uh to a lot of uh a lot of snafus uh along the way and and a lot of uh frustrations and by the time we figured it out the vaccine came out and we were all uh, <laughs> together again so yeah. it's a, but we did get uh, a, a few uses out of it and uh you know even uh, did the uh, the high holiday services on uh on Jamulus uh, that oh, fall, cool. and uh, that was uh, great, but not not as great as the feeling of actually singing together for the high holidays uh, just a, a few weeks ago. Right, and uh, and that just felt really special for uh, all of us. Yeah, I know. Like me, uh, I'll say that uh, you know having some of these, uh, you know, you 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 talk about recording all these things virtually and all the so now. They're they're out there available, and and I've I've seen that from from other um, from other areas that have recorded songs too, and it's it's always good to have more resources out there too. So I, I think that that has actually been a uh, uh, you know there's thing good things that have come out of the pandemic. I think more people have have done more of these things and saved more of these uh, these recordings and and music opportunities. I think there's more things out there uh, now musically. Than what you had before the pandemic because more people have collaborated and done these things so i think it's really neat to to see more content out there than what you had before i think i think that's re really has been a positive i know that you know i don't want to say that it's, it's a it's a blessing that this happened but but I, th I think there's some good things that have come out of it um so i want i want to switch off you we've, we've talked about your choirs and your chorus and things like that um but you did have an opportunity to play in an actuarial band. Uh, now I know that probably some people listen, some people watching this, actuaries watching this are probably thinking, what's an actuarial band? Uh, but tell us a little bit about this actuarial band and uh, what instruments you played in it. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a known fact that uh, math people uh, are musical. Mm -hmm. so there, there is a lot of math that, uh, that goes into music, whether you're counting beats or 
or you're you're just trying to uh, to time things. So, and and the uh, the community knew that, and so we had a uh, hundredth anniversary of the founding of the Casualty Actuarial Society, and there was a big meeting in in New York. It had over a thousand participants, mm-hmm. and so the uh, so the society wanted to do something really special for it, and they they wanted to put together a chorus. And they actually called it an, an orchestra because you know, there were stringed instruments uh, in there as well. So I uh, actually, of course, I wanted to do both, but right. uh, they, uh, they said I had to choose one or the other. And it, at that point, I hadn't uh, picked up a saxophone in, I'd say, about more, more than 20 years. Right. And I thought, let me uh, just pick it up again and, and see that it's uh, it was a friend of mine, Dave Hoffman, who, uh, who had bought a saxophone and then it was sitting in his storage locker and uh, he graciously uh, gave it to me. And uh, so I, I practiced again and, and I knew the notes, but uh, it was very difficult to get that same yeah. sound that, uh, that I could get on. There were a lot of squeaks uh, going on that I never fully resolved uh, <laughs> during the, uh, you know, the performance, but, uh, it, it felt to get, uh, back again. It's, uh, I was living in an apartment back then. And whenever I would practice, I could hear my next door neighbor cranking up the TV volume <laughs> on, uh, on his side, but, uh, he was okay with that as long as it wasn't uh, after midnight. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a, a really, I love the repertoire of music, Rhapsody in Blue, or a a John Williams medley that started out with the Star Wars theme. Mm-hmm. There was a Beatles medley. There was a Glenn Miller's uh, In the Mood. And we only had three rehearsals uh, together. Oh, I see. So this this was a real tour de force. Of course, we practiced on YouTube uh, in our spare time. But to put it all together, it was uh, a real labor of love. Uh, you know, Ron Litovsky was the, uh, the conductor who, uh, who arranged it. And he did a really fabulous job putting it, it all together. We we played about half the speed of uh, of what the music uh, should be, but uh, and and when we uh, performed it, uh, certainly it was a little bit uh, difficult to get a room full of uh, people who <laughs> you know were, were uh, all together with their colleagues to uh, to stop talking. But uh, you know if, if you want to watch us, uh, you'll look up CAS Centennial Orchestra on uh, YouTube and especially uh, listen to the, uh, the power pop medley. Okay. That has a, uh, you know, one of them uh, has uh, an actuarial song parody uh, in there that uh, is uh, very cute and, and very uh, well performed, especially by the, uh, the, the singers of the chorus. So, so you mentioned actuarial song parodies. Uh, have you written any, uh, actuarial song parodies that you'd like to perform why as a matter of fact i have okay (laughs) okay let me cue up the music And just to give you a little uh, bit of a, a background on this, early in my career, there was an actuary in my department whose name was uh, Kenneth. And to this day, I regret not asking him uh, this question. 
and in the the spirit of uh, the state of Georgia, I give you a song parody from one of our uh, home home from uh, one of our uh, favorite bands, REM. What's the frequency, Kenneth? Has your PNC run off? Pricing workers' comp, auto, and property. I thought I'd completed Schedule P. Adverse losses made a fool out of me. I never understood the frequency, uh-uh. Loss ratio expectations did not compute, uh-uh. I had studied for exams and I read actuarial review. And when I speak to other people, I look at their shoes. Took loss over exposures to get premiums. But your methodology used GLMs. Social inflation distorted severity. Uh -huh. I didn't understand, I never understood the frequency, uh-uh. I'm, I'm sure the actuaries will get the, get that, especially the part looking at other people's shoes. Yes, <laughs> well, may, maybe uh, we should uh, include a glossary of uh, insurance <laughs> terms in the uh, the chat. <laughs> Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate you being my guest on Actuaries in the Wild. Uh, if you're an actuary or know an actuary who's ventured out into the wild, contact me so that we can share your story. You can find Actuaries in the Wild on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for joining us and see you next time on Actuaries in the Wild.